Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us this today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A New Testament reading from the book of Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the leaven, raised his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. It is uh, really an honor and a privilege to be invited back to open God's word with you. 
I'd like to read a portion from the Gospel of John, beginning at verse 8 of chapter 14. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. The gospel of the Lord. A couple of years ago, I was, uh, this was 48 hours prior to Christmas Eve, which I always spend with my family. I look forward to that every year, but I was not with my family 48 hours private. I was across the ocean uh, in Switzerland with some friends on a, on a vacation. And um, I did something that I normally would never do. It's just not one of my habits. I decided that I would put my passport into the safe in the hotel room where I was staying. And the next morning, I got up with my friends and we hopped on a train. We're heading to Munich, which was going to be our last uh, stop on our trip. And 10 minutes into the train journey, I thought I should check my bag, make sure I have the passport. I did not have the passport. The passport was back in the hotel safe where I never think to put it, and so I hadn't thought to take it out and put it in my bag. So I quickly called my friend that I'd been visiting in, in, in Switzerland, uh, and I said, is there any way you can go to the hotel, get the passport, and overnight it to me in Munich? And I'll pick it up, and I'll still have 24 hours to spare before I have to catch my flight, and I'll be fine. And he said, sure, glad to do that. Goes to the hotel, gets the passport, sends it in the mail through DHL, and I breathe a sigh of relief. Well, I go the next morning in Munich to the DHL site where I'm supposed to pick up the passport. And they say, sir, we're sorry, we don't receive packages here. And I, they said, someone did try to deliver the package, but it's, it's out on a truck somewhere. We sent them away. So I spent frantically the next uh, 12 hours of that day trying to track down my passport uh, around the city of Munich, and eventually, I'm glad to tell you, I was reunited with it and was able to spend Christmas with my family. But I, I think about this story this morning because there was, that, there was that moment where I breathed a sigh of relief because I knew the passport was on its way to me. It had been secured. It had been put into an envelope. It was there ready, waiting for me to pick it up. And the only thing that was left was for me to receive it, for me to be actually reunited with it. 
a gift had been sent to me, and I was waiting to, to close with it, as it were, to, to receive it, to hold it in my hands, to know that I could get on my flight to go back and spend Christmas with my parents. That, in many ways, is the situation where we find ourselves on the day of Pentecost, which churches across the world are observing today, the day after Easter, after Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of the Father, he's ascended, and he promised to pour out his Holy Spirit on his disciples so that the work that he accomplished on their behalf, the atoning work of the cross, the the victorious work of the resurrection, could be made over to them in their experience so that that finished work could be theirs in their hearts, dwelling within them, sanctifying them, drawing them to himself. And that's what we celebrate today. Paul puts it like this in in Galatians. He says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you're children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a child, and if a child, then also an heir through God. God did not simply send his son to die and remain a distant memory, a kind of icon or symbol of love. No, he accompanied his son's work with the power of the Holy Spirit, which was poured in our hearts so that we can find ourselves united to that saving work, and we join Jesus in crying out, just like his adopted sons and and daughters, Abba, Father. That's Pentecost. I love the way uh, John Burnaby puts this in his great book on St. Augustine. He says, The love of God which endures, the love of the cross which offers itself to the unloving, is always the servant of its own high purpose, not to rest till the sundered fellowship is restored, till rejection, our rejection, is changed to response. Calvary, Burnaby says, is for the sake of Pentecost. Jesus dies and he will not rest until his powerful spirit has has taken that forgiving, atoning work and sealed it in our hearts and made us responsive to it in gratitude and hope and faith. That's Pentecost. Well, what I want to do this morning is returning to our gospel text I want to come at the issue almost from the other way around. I think Burnaby is right. Calvary is for the sake of Pentecost. We see that very clearly over and over again in the New Testament. Jesus died so that the Spirit could be poured out on us. But I think we also, and particularly in the Gospel of John, see the converse of that, if you like. We see that Pentecost is for the sake of leading us back to Calvary. Pentecost is for the sake of us being drawn more and more deeply into the mystery of Christ's cross and resurrection. I want to show you this uh, in the Gospel of John and invite you to to wonder about this with me. Uh, In our reading for today, we we heard Jesus say uh, toward the end of it that he is going back to the Father. And this is an absolutely climactic moment in the Gospel of John because it's the eve of Jesus' crucifixion. It's the moment when he is looking ahead to his death, his, his hum, humiliating, uh, excruciating death 
on a cross. And he says, this is the beginning of the process that I've been building towards all through my ministry. I am now returning to the Father who sent me into the world out of love so that the world could be saved. And what's fascinating in the Gospel of John in particular is that John uses two words that none of the other New Testament writers so emphasize to talk about the cross. And the two words that John uses are highly paradoxical ones. They're not ones that we would normally reach for to describe the cross. But John reaches for them. He draws them both from Isaiah 52, which is the verse uh, 52.13, right before the famous passage about the suffering servant of God. Isaiah says, Behold, my servant shall understand and my servant shall be lifted up and glorified. Lifted up and glorified. And then follows chapter 53, which is all about the extreme suffering that the servant of God undergoes on behalf of the people Israel. John, in the Gospel of John, seizes on those two words, lifted up and glorified, and he says, that's what happened on the cross. That's what Jesus' death was. I want you to see this. Uh, John says in chapter 3, if you want to follow along, you're welcome to. I'll give you the verse numbers, but you can also just listen as I read these. In John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And he reaches for that story about the Israelites who had been bitten by these, these poisonous snakes. And Moses hoists a statue, a bronze statue of a serpent up on a pole. And he says, look to that and be healed. And Jesus says this, John 3, verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It's even clearer, actually, in John chapter 12 that Jesus is speaking there about his cross, about his crucifixion. In John chapter 12, verse 32 Jesus says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this, John says, to indicate the kind of death he was to die. He said that he would be lifted up precisely in order to make a reference to the cross. In John chapter 8, it's even more explicit that this moment when Jesus is lifted up is the very moment when Israel and the nations will see their God. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 28, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will realize that I am and that I do nothing on my own, but I speak these things as the Father instructed me. Jesus dares to say that in the moment that you've hoisted me up on the cross, exalted me on the cross, That's the very moment when he takes the words of God from the burning bush in Exodus 3 on his lips and says, you will know in that moment that I am. You will see the glory of God shining forth from that cross just as Moses beheld it at the burning bush. We see the same pattern over and over again with the word glorified in the Gospel of John. Jesus says in chapter 12, Toward the very end of his ministry, as he looks ahead to dying in Jerusalem, he says in verse 23 of chapter 12, Jesus answered his disciples, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
It's a striking moment in the Gospel of John because over and over again throughout this Gospel, we've heard that Jesus' hour has not yet come, right? When his mother asks him to make wine at the wedding of Canaan, no, I can't do that. My hour has not yet come. When he goes to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths and people want signs, no, I can't do that. My hour has not yet come. When the crowds try to forcibly arrest him, he, he escapes because the narrator says God had decided his hour was not yet. And at his eluding of arrest in the temple in John chapter 8, he says yet again, my hour has not yet come. But here in chapter 12, his hour has come and it's the hour of his glorification, he says. He's lifted up on the cross and he's made glorious on the cross. We see it again in chapter 13, verses 31 through 32. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. And if God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. He says those words just as he's washed his disciples' feet illustrating what's about to happen on the cross. He's giving his life away. And John wants us not to miss that 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 self-giving is his moment of highest glorification. Friends, that's what he means when he says in our gospel reading for today that he's going to the Father. He is approaching this climactic, definitive moment that all his life has been building towards. And John wants us not to mistake it simply for powerlessness. John wants us to see in the cross paradoxically, mysteriously, that this, in fact, is the greatest moment of Jesus' glorification. It's one of the things I love about John. Paul and the other New Testament writers emphasize the sequence. First, Jesus is humbled, and then he's glorified, which is true. But John wants us to see these themes in simultaneity. Jesus is humbled, and precisely in his humiliation, he is lifted up and exalted and glorified. And it's this very reality that allows us to speak, John thinks, finally, of the Spirit. There's a telling verse uh, earlier in the Gospel of John where uh, John chapter 7, verse 39, it says, now, now Jesus said what he said previously about the Spirit, which believers in him were to receive. They've not yet received the Spirit. Why have they not yet received the Spirit? For as yet there was no Spirit because Jesus was not yet glorified. There's something about his glorification on the cross that now makes it appropriate that the Spirit would be breathed out on his disciples. And that's exactly what we find. Right after Jesus announces that he's completing his course, He's going into the moment of his lifting up. He's going into his glorification. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. Now that the hour of Jesus' glorification has come, he wants his followers to hear this. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all 
that I have said to you. J.I. Packer once described walking to a church to preach on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to preach on that passage, in fact, from the Gospel of John, where Jesus describes the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he says, he will, Jesus says, speaking of the Spirit, he, the Spirit, will glorify me. And Packer says, as he rounded the corner to approach the church, it was for an evening service, he noticed there were floodlights illuminating the exterior of the church and causing it to appear radiant and glorious. And he says, the striking thing there was the floodlights themselves weren't visible. They were hidden behind the shrubbery around the church. But what they did in their, in their lighting up of that church was show the glorious brilliance of the church. And Packer said he immediately had his illustration for the sermon that night. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The, the mystery of the work of the Spirit is to always and everywhere point us back to the cross. Remind us of the meaning of the cross, which is that Jesus has now definitively shown his glory into the world, the glory of self-giving love, the glory of the the mutual love between father and son now enacted in self-giving for us, for sinners, for those who cannot save themselves. That's what the cross means. And the Spirit wants to, as he works in us and among us, constantly direct us back like a floodlight, gaze on that reality, to contemplate it, to let it shape our entire understanding of who we are and of who God is. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And what the Spirit wants to show us is the glory of the cross. The glory of the cross precisely in its humbling self-giving brokenness for you and for me. Friends, that's what we're about to celebrate. We're about to turn our gaze on that moment when Jesus, breaking bread and, and pouring wine, said, this is what I'm about to do now that my hour has come. What I'm going to do is, is pour out my life, and as I'm lifted up, you are going to see the very glory of God streaming from those wounds, streaming from that humiliation on the cross, and it's God's heart being laid bare for you. Amen. Friends, the Lord be with you. And also with you. And lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to to give him thanks and praise. It is indeed good and right in our bounden duty that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, our Lord. Holy Father, almighty and everlasting God, and therefore with the angels and the archangels and with all the company of heaven, we do praise and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you, the holy Lord, God of hosts. All glory be to you, O Lord, our God, for you created heaven and earth and made us in your own image, and out of your tender mercy, you gave us your only Son, Jesus Christ, to take our nature upon him and to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption and to make there a perfect sacrifice for the whole world and institute in his holy gospel command us to continue this perpetual memory of his precious death and sacrifice until his coming again. And so we pray as Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.